Open 21.1 was wall walks and double unders. Open 20.4 was a max complex of a deadlift, plus a clean, plus a hand clean, plus a jerk. The 2021 CrossFit Games Event 10 was four-time 30 toes to bar, 1.5 mile run, 30 toes to bar, 1.5 mile run, and 30 toes to bar. 2021 CrossFit Games Event 12 was a one rep max snatch. Did you see the contrast there? If you want to perform at your best in CrossFit, you have to maximize your capacity on bodyweight tests and your ability to move heavy loads. Athletes, like you, are looking for an edge. Basically, what can I do to improve my weaknesses? And a very important question that I'm basically seeking to help you answer today is, will putting on muscle mass make me better at CrossFit? It's not a straightforward answer. We need to dive into the details of the benefits and costs of hypertrophy and muscle mass. Hey, it's Ben Wise, and this is The Fitness Movement. fitness movement is brought to you by Zor Fitness. Zor Fitness is my company and my platform to deliver training content to coaches and athletes like you. The site has educational resources on everything from program design and exercise physiology to skill progressions and movement breakdowns. And in terms of programming, we have our online training program, The Protocol, and I also offer one-on-one remote coaching. It's all at one place, ZorFitness.com. And welcome back to my rant on the benefits and costs of hypertrophy. So hypertrophy, not as my high school football coach called it, hypertrophy, can be both a noun and a verb. But either way, it's just referring to muscle mass or the process of increasing one's muscle mass. So you can hypertrophy a muscle, but you can also exhibit or display hypertrophy in a muscle. So whether it's a noun or a verb, it really doesn't matter. We're talking about that muscle mass, bro. So let's get into it. Today, I want to talk about three benefits and three costs of hypertrophy. The first benefit is that you have an increased potential for maximal strength. Second benefit is that you have improved battery and strength endurance. The third benefit is that you have an enhanced ability to act on external resistance. And then the three costs. Cost number one is that you have increased joint wear and tear. Cost number two is that you have increased cardiorespiratory demand. And cost number three is that you have increased thermoregulation demand. So let's expand upon this. Benefit number one is that you have the increased potential for maximal strength. I've heard the saying mass moves mass, and that is very accurate. If you're a bigger person, you have much more potential for maximal strength. If you have more muscle mass, again, more potential for maximal strength. And improved maximal strength can, and often does, have a trickle-down effect to less strong contractions. So better maximal contractions means that you can be better with maybe fixed loads at a lesser percentage of your one rep max. Or really, any external load is probably going to move better, again, if you have better maximal contractions. And any erg-based cyclical movement will probably also be better. So let me explain here what I mean by More muscle mass means more potential for maximal strength. Just because you have more contractile tissue, like more muscle tissue, does not mean that you can lift more weight, right? Like there are bodybuilders who are huge and 
truthfully not all that strong in terms of like a one rep max where they spend most of their time doing um, strength endurance or muscular endurance and metabolic activity. And that's what helps drive a lot of their hypertrophy, but they might not be actually all that strong. On the flip side of that, we have weightlifters who are tiny. They're in a small weight class and they can lift these incredible loads. I think a good example of this would be Niam Sulimangalu. I probably butchered that name, but he was known as the Pocket Hercules. He was a, a really well-known weightlifter in the 80s and 90s. Um, he's got 46 world records. He was in the 60 kilo weight class, so that would be 132 pounds, and his best clean and jerk was 190 kilos, which is 418 pounds. So 132 pound person lifting 418 pounds over their head. So a lot of people don't really understand the underlying physiology of what's going on at the, the level of maybe the nerve or the muscle is how someone could actually improve their relative strength. So their one RM at their current weight. So their body weight to strength ratio is what we're talking about. There is a multitude of factors that goes into what determines someone's maximal strength without actually having muscle size be one of those factors. Obviously, that's a very important factor, but that is just one kind of category of factors is the actual volume of contractile tissue in the muscle. Obviously, it's a very important factor, but it's certainly not the only factor. So a simple one would be someone's technique, right? The, the way that they're actually lifting the barbell. Someone's efficient where they can pull themselves under the bar and they don't have to basically do like a muscle clean or a power clean and they have really good positions and they have really solid technique, obviously they're going to be able to lift more. There's things like psychological factors, right? So somebody's level of arousal, um, their, their pain avoidance maybe, right? If you're someone who is lifting for a really defined purpose, right? Like a couple of podcasts ago, I used the example of a woman setting a, a car seat down in the driveway and the car starting to roll back onto it because she forgot to put the e-brake on and she lifted the car up, right? Like the level of motivation and um, just the uh, total level of arousal and, and calling on that autonomic nervous system of the sympathetic drive that's going to happen and the amount of neural firing that's going to be created as a result of that um, is just going to produce a ridiculous amount of tension, even if she wasn't a heavily muscled individual. Other things like connective tissue strength, right? If you have elastic, strong joints, you have a much better potential for uh, force transmission. Even like moment arms. So like if you have really long femurs, you're not going to be able to act on a bar as well as if you have shorter femurs in, in the squatting movement versus the hinging movement. So there's a lot of different avenues that we could actually go down for just thinking about trying to develop someone's relative strength without increasing their muscle mass. However, as a whole, more muscle mass is going to be very strongly correlated with higher one rep maxes. I mean, this is why we see strongman competitors that are so freakishly big, right? Think about people like Thor, Hathor, Bjortmanson, Brian Shaw, Eddie Hall. Like these people have won the world's strongest man. These are huge men, well over 400 pounds, right? And that's why they can deadlift over a thousand pounds. All of them have deadlifted over a thousand pounds. So if we think about a sport that doesn't have weight classes, strongman, CrossFit, right? In every event where there's a maximal strength or strength endurance test being measured, it pays to be big. Now, in strongman, that's every single test, right? Which is why they're so big. In CrossFit, that's not every single test. And as I alluded to in the intro, it doesn't pay to be a big person if you have to do a workout of toes to bar and running. And again, with the scoring system in CrossFit, which is something we're going to get into later, we start to have to weigh a lot more what are the costs and benefits of having the added muscle mass so that I can perform well on maximal strength activities 
but that it's not so detrimental to me when I actually have to move my own body weight. So the first benefit is increased potential for maximal strength. Second benefit is improved battery and strength endurance. So if maximal strength goes up, your ability to move an object at a fixed weight is going to probably go up, very likely to go up. So if we have a male athlete and they can clean and jerk, let's say 275 pounds, and over the course of 12 or 18 months, we increase that to maybe 315 pounds, their grace weight, so 135 pounds, which is the standard loading for that workout, 30 clean jerks for time, is going to be at a lesser percentage and as a result is going to feel lighter. So in other words, if we're using 135 and they were at 275 for their max, that is going to be 50% of their max that they have to clean jerk 30 times. If their max is now 315, that drops to 43%. So likely if we have two athletes of a similar caliber and you give the one 40% to lift 30 times versus another one 50%, the one who has it at 40% is probably gonna finish quicker. I mean, that just kind of makes sense. So if you have a weight that is fixed, if you have a stronger 1RM, you're probably going to perform better. Obviously, there's exceptions to this, but as a generality, that that's true and it holds up. And in CrossFit, it's super common to have weights and workouts at these various fixed intervals. So for example, deadlifts are super common for 225 for males or 155 pounds for females, or it's often 315 pounds for males and 205 pounds for females. Clean and jerks, uh, like I said, 135, 95, maybe 185, 125. Again, these very set numbers. Dumbbells, you know, every time we've seen them in a qualifier, sometime it's 50 pounds for males, 35 pounds for females, etc. And I could go on and on with this. So basically, if you are larger and stronger, you probably will be able to do more reps in less time. So again, that second benefit is improving your battery and strength endurance. And these are two qualities of submaximal strength. The third benefit is that you have an enhanced ability to act on external resistance. So basically, if you're a larger, stronger individual, you have the benefit anytime you are required to act on something other than your own body weight. So that's what I mean by external resistance. So anytime I, you hear me refer to that, as I'm saying you're acting on something other than your own body weight. So there's probably some people like, yeah, dude, you already mentioned this, like you were talking about barbells and battery and strength endurance and those qualities. And yet like, okay, that falls under this as well, under this umbrella of, you know, barbells and dumbbells, like I already mentioned, but this includes other things as well into that. So for example, this could be kettlebells, yokes, sandbags, sleds, really any odd object would be under this category as well. However, I want to add one more key item to that list, and that is machines. So ergs, ergs, think of like the rower, the ski erg, the bike erg, even the air runner, right? These measure output, not your output relative to your muscle mass, just raw output. So bigger athletes do better on ergs. Again, air bike, rower, skier, biker. Yes, even the air runner. So it's an important distinction that we make that hypertrophy can make you better at quote fitness depending on how you're actually measuring it. So if you're doing a workout with air bike, wall balls, deadlifts, it's going to pay to be a big person, right? Like you want more muscle mass in that situation because all of those are acting on external loads. The air bike, 
you are spinning a fan. The wall ball, you are throwing a medicine ball. The deadlifts, you're lifting up a barbell. You're all of those, you're acting on external load. So it pays to be big. In all workouts and situations where you're acting on external load, muscle mass is going to be your friend. However, as I mentioned before, there are times where it is not your friend. So let's get into the costs or the potential drawbacks of hypertrophy. The first one is that you have increased wear and tear on your joints. So I'm going over this one first because this is probably the most obvious and intuitive for a lot of people. Like if you add 20 pounds to your frame and you're still required to do the same amount of double unders and chest to bar and burpee box jump overs, it's going to put more stress on your joints. So for a person who's gained or lost any significant amount of weight in a period of time, especially in like a short period of time, you're probably going to be able to relate to this. When I was a college wrestler, as people are probably aware, like you cut a lot of weight during the season, both week over week, but just as a whole, you're just kind of at a lower set point throughout that time of year. And then as soon as the season ends, which is typically around March, um, I would often gain like 15 to 20 pounds pretty quickly. And as a result of gaining that, you know, again, like 15, 20 pounds, probably on average season over season, the one thing that I really noticed it in was running. Running is really the biggest change that I noticed where like my ankles, my knees, they would literally just like start to hurt more when I weighed more. I felt less springy and just like less reactive off the ground. And this isn't even talking about my conditioning level because my fitness was still really high. However, my run performance was certainly not. That degraded quite a bit. So again, I'm sure if anyone's ever experienced that where they've gained or lost a bunch of weight in a short amount of time, they can definitely relate to this. So I had used the example of running. Um, what I want to do now is take us through really almost any time when you're having to, let's call it catch yourself or like kind of um, absorb your own body weight. And these are going to be super important if we're thinking about joint wear and tear, if you're weighing more because you're putting on more muscle mass. The first category of things would be bounding. So running would fall into this but also double unders, box jumps. These are all going to be super common in qualifiers. Yeah, and certainly these types of bounding activities are not going to be helped with having more mass. A lot of people who are thickered and are heavily muscled are not nearly as elastic and kind of springy when it comes to a lot of those bounding activities, in my experience. So the first would be bounding. The second would be hanging gymnastics. So things like muscle-ups and pull-ups and all of those variations. The goal here is to cycle reps as fast as possible. So we're exercise racing. That's basically what CrossFit is, which essentially means that you've got to drop out of the movement as fast as you can, and you're going to catch yourself at the bottom, which is going to require an immense amount of eccentric strength. And that is going to be increased the heavier that you are. So the more weight that you're putting on your frame, the more just total control of those movements is going to get harder and harder. And then the, lastly, I would say, so I was bounding, hanging gymnastics, lastly would be midline centric bodyweight movements, which is a fancy way of saying things like, you know, handstand walks, like wall walks, like GHDs, um, even burpees, right? A lot of these movements have a pressing component where you have to, one, manipulate your body weight but then also you have to create stiffness through your core to do them effectively. So if you're watching a video of someone doing a wall walk or a burpee and you were just to like hit pause at random times in that or maybe mid rep, it's basically going to look like that person is doing a plank. 
And I would encourage you at some point, try doing a bodyweight plank and then do a plank and then have somebody place a 15 pound plate on your back, right? So if we are basically gaining muscle mass and that's included in our trunk, that's going to make movements where we have to support our body weight and maintain a strong midline much more difficult. So basically you're having to brace and move in these activities and doing that when you're heavier is way harder. So cost number one was increased wear and tear in your joints. Cost number two of more muscle mass is that it taxes the cardiorespiratory system more. So if we think about the cardiorespiratory system, cardio being heart, respiratory, most people think lungs. I actually don't want you thinking lungs. I want you thinking diaphragm, intercostal, scalenes, right? The actual musculature that's creating the pressure gradient to move air in and out of your lungs, right? So your lungs are just sacs that fill up when the respiratory musculature expands your ribcage, creates a negative pressure gradient, and as a result, air rushes into your lungs and fills them up. So I want you to think cardio as heart, respiratory as diaphragm intercostal scalenes, right? Those respiratory musculature. So for the heart and the respiratory musculature, more body weight means more oxygen is needed to move yourself, right? If you weigh more, it's going to take more energy to move you. And this is A, in gymnastics, obviously, right? Where we have things like, again, pistols, burpees, pull-ups, air squats, rope climbs, etc. But also body weight cyclical elements. So running, as I mentioned before, double unders. Um, cycling on land rather than something like a salt bike or a, an erg, right? Um, swimming, obstacle courses, right? Anything where you're actually having to move your body weight through space. We could think of this as locomotion as well. And there's two more implications of this. Number one is that you have to ventilate to keep your muscle mass working aerobically. So in other words, you're going to have to breathe more. And then number two is that your heart has to work harder to deliver that oxygenated blood through more capillary bits. In other words, your heart's going to have to work harder unless for some reason you have a really high stroke volume. Basically, this is probably meaning that your heart rate is going to have to be higher. So again, if we think about this in layman's terms, you have to breathe more and your heart rate is going to be higher. But also, you have to work harder just to move more mass because you weigh more. So there was a study done by Bjorgels, Drensen, and Hollander. Um, those are the last names. Um, in the European Journal of Applied Physiology and Occupational Physiology. And this is what they said. Quote, each kilogram of extra body weight increases oxygen uptake by 33.5 milliliters per minute, heart rate by 1.1 beats per minute, and pulmonary ventilation by 0.6 liters per minute. Unquote. So basically what they were doing in the study is that they had subjects carry weight vests of varying loads, and then they correlated that with increases in heart rate and ventilation rate and oxygen uptake. So let me give you an example. I'm extrapolating a little bit and maybe assuming some things. This might not be 100% accurate, but it gives you a, a much better idea of what practically that, that quote could be meaning here and that the results that they found. Say we have somebody and they weigh 80 kilograms, right? So we have a, realistically, this would probably be a male um, CrossFit athlete. 80 kilograms is 176 pounds. And say they're running at a pace that results in their heart rate being 170 beats per minute if their max is 190 beats per minute, okay? 80 kilogram male, 176 pounds. They're running at 170 beats per minute out of 190 beats per minute. That is 89% of their max heart rate. So they're working at 89%. If we take that same athlete and we move them to 90 kilograms, which is 198 pounds, they're running at that same pace 
their heart rate is now 181 beats per minute, which is 95% of their max. So in other words, they went from 170 to 181, and they bumped up 6% from 89% of their max to 95% of their max heart rate. And this is massive. Like this is the difference between, you know, if we have a cyclist not even making it into the Tour de France versus winning the Tour de France. Like this is a massive difference in physiology here. And it's something that's very important for us to understand. So again, cost number two is that hypertrophy taxes the cardiorespiratory system more. Cost number three is that there's an increased thermoregulation demand. So what's actually going on here is someone puts on more muscle mass is that their surface area to volume ratio is reduced. What this means is that there's less tissue, relatively speaking, exposed to the environment, which this is a really good thing if you are trying to stay warm, like a bear hibernating in winter. And it's a really bad thing if you're trying to cool off like a CrossFit athlete doing Murph uh, on a turf field in the sun in July. <laughs> like that's obviously not helpful at all. So we have to understand that the more mass that you put on, the harder time you're going to have cooling off when it's in a hot environment and you're do- producing a lot of metabolic heat, which is most CrossFit workouts. The last thing I want to say about the thermoregulation thing is that there's also a concept called cardiac drift. So cardiac drift is basically saying as your core temperature continues to rise, your heart rate will also continue to rise. And there's a, probably a number of things that are contributing to this, everything from dehydration that reduces your stroke volume, so your heart rate's got to go up. So from that to your body just trying to pump blood through a muscle to get it back to the heart so it can get it out to the skin where it can actually dissipate and radiate that heat, which is a relatively complicated physiological process. So what's basically going on here in simple terms is that as your core temperature goes up, your heart rate is also going to go up. And this is very important, not just because of the thermoregulation thing, but also just having more muscle mass. If we think back to the second cost here is that's going to increase your heart rate for gymnastics movements and for any body weight supported cyclical elements. So really it's a twofold increase on your heart rate and your respiration system when you put on more muscle mass. So again, it's a very important thing that you need to factor in. So a few final thoughts here to again, stay practical. Um, number one, the most important question that you can probably ask yourself is, is adding muscle mass going to help me gain ground on my competition where I am currently performing the worst? And this is not a question that has a one size fits all answer to it. So rather than just giving like a blind prescription to that, which would probably be a bit irresponsible, I want to equip you with the info that you actually need to be able to find out this answer for yourself. So let me repeat the question again. Is adding muscle mass going to help me gain ground on my competition where I am currently performing the worst? And the best way that you can do that through an objective lens is to look at a leaderboard. So if we look at like your open scores, right? If I took an athlete and I was onboarding this athlete um, and I'm trying to figure out if body weight's an important factor that we need to adjust for them, one of the things I could do is say, okay, let's look at the 2021 open, uh, 20.1. There was wall walks and double unders, so two body weight movements. You place five thousandths there, okay? 21.2, dumbbell snatches and burpee box jump overs, eight thousandths, okay? 21.3, front squat, hanging gymnastics, thrusters, you were six thousandths. And then 21.4 was that max complex deadlift, clean, hand clean, jerk, 15,000th place. So in that, just practically, it's like, well, you got the majority of your points in that max complex 
complex. So like, okay, it's time to go pack on some functional muscle, my dude. Like that's going to be the simplest thing that we can do to improve your performance across the board. And if we had a different athlete, we say 21.1 was 9,000. 21.2 is 4,000, 21.3 was 6,000, 21.4 was 2,000. So their best placement was on the the max complex. Yeah, I mean, if we're just looking at this, like your body weight movements were some of your worst placings, like the hanging gymnastics and burpee box workouts were not good. Adding more muscle mass is probably only going to make you worse at the things that you need to get better at. So if you're someone who's looking at your open scores and trying to figure out what you should be doing, If your worst open score, the worst placing, was a workout that had external loads, ergs, or a max lift, then gaining weight may be helpful. On the other side of that, if your worst score was gymnastics or bodyweight cyclical elements, aka not on the ergs, things like double unders, then gaining weight will likely make things worse. So you definitely don't want to gain weight, right? You may or may not want to lose weight. So... A big disclaimer here, this is all assuming that it pays to be well-rounded based on the scoring system. So we're assuming CrossFit Open style scoring here. If you're a games athlete listening to this, then that certainly may not be the case at all. So Noah Olson recently on Instagram posted that he was like 208, I think he said, um, after the games, which is probably about the heaviest he's been. And he placed 10th this year, which... You know, most people are probably expecting a, a top five performance from him, possibly podium, possibly even winning. He obviously didn't do as well as he was hoping for. <laughs> and his thought, and he kind of hashed this out in his post, was that he thought his weight was part of the problem. And he recently posted that he got down to like 185 pounds, which is a, a really big difference, to be honest. Now, it's complicated, and there's a lot going on here. And also, I'll say that I think Max, uh, Noah's coach, is definitely in the top five coaches in the world. But we have to understand that if you're in the games, it's just a different scoring system and therefore you have to evaluate your weaknesses in a different lens. Now, if Noah is trying to maximize his scoring at the games in the games, let's just say for a second that they were scored like the open, then he needs to do the best he can across all the events and try to minimize any poor placing, right? Because you get the most points on an event that you do poorly in. So if you can just be sort of even across the board, that's going to be how you get your best result. Noah, historically, hasn't done great in maximal strength, so then it would pay for him to have more mass. And likely over the course of the last five, eight years, Noah's been working on his strength a lot, which makes sense that his body weight just kind of creeped up over time. And maybe it's just something that they thought that's kind of where he was naturally at and that's where he was competing at. Again, like I said, it's complicated. However, if the games were scored that the way the games have always been scored for the past decade excluding like every second counts. I think that was like 2008. This means that it pays to win events, right? Because you get 100 points for winning and then it trickles down from there. And Noah historically has done really well on any sort of gymnastics density test. So he went head to head with Frazier and beat him in Mary, which is a 20 minute AMRAP of strict handstand pushups, 10 pistols, 15 pull-ups. He did 22 and a half rounds. That's a lot of gymnastics. (laughs) So as you're listening to this, you have to think about the types of workouts that you have historically performed the worst in, and then also make sure to take into consideration what type of scoring system that you are peaking for and trying to perform your best in. So in other words, if you're trying to peak for the open, the goal is to minimize your weaknesses 
even if it's at the cost of your strengths, so to speak. If you're at the games, you need to maximize your strengths without bombing out on any of your weaknesses. Now, I'll add this little last thought. For a lot of people um, who are listening to this, just training hard, fueling, in other words, nutrition in a way that's going to maintain energy and aid recovery, and just being consistent over a number of years is going to get you very close to your best performance. And once you're much closer to maybe a concept like genetic potential, right, then starting to make more subtle tweaks about things like body weight will probably make more sense. And also just try to be like objective with yourself, right? Like take a step back and look at yourself and try to evaluate honestly what's going on here. Like if you're a 110 pound, five foot six female and you want to go to the games, like honey, you're probably going to have to gain some weight to do that. Like if you're a 230 pound male, six foot and you want to go to like a semifinal, like dude, like you're probably going to have to get your weight in check if you want to do that. Thanks for listening today. I got three resources that are going to be helpful for you. Number one, if you want to visualize today's show, I know I threw a lot of information at you. It was probably difficult to digest all of it. The show notes can be super helpful with that. Being able to see something and have it be clear and concise can be super helpful. Zorfitness.com slash podcast slash 047. And actually how I write these shows is I come up with a topic that I want to talk about. Then I write a detailed outline of that topic, and then I put those notes onto the website as the show notes, and then I record using the show notes as my guide and sort of my key talking points. So I think not enough people listen and or read the podcast from the website. So check it out. Again, zorfitness.com slash podcast slash 047. So that was the first one. Number two is if you want to learn a little bit more about hypertrophy, specifically as it relates to CrossFit performance. Um, I recently wrote an article on the website. It's called The Role of Hypertrophy in CrossFit Performance. It's a good title there. <laughs> you can either go to zorfitness.com and search hypertrophy if you're on desktop view, or you can just Google zorfitness and the word hypertrophy together and it should pop up right away. And then number three is if you want to learn more about how to manipulate your body size and shape to be able to maximize your fitness performance check out episode number 12 of the fitness movement. It's called Optimizing Your Body for Fitness Performance. So be sure to check out those resources, and I hope you found this helpful in discovering the costs and benefits of hypertrophy and muscle mass. Hey, it's Ben again. Thanks for listening today. To be completely honest, it's been really rewarding to have people who listen to the show regularly reach out to me, whether they have a question about training or just to say, hey. So if you haven't done that yet, do it. I'm pretty good about getting back to people and you can feel free to email me, ben at sorefitness.com or message me on Instagram at sorefitness. And graciously, I've had some people reach out to me and ask how they can support the show. Number one way that you can support the show if you are a regular listener is just by rating the show. Most apps have a platform where you can actually rate it, and on Apple Podcasts, you can write a review as well. This is super helpful in having other coaches and athletes find the podcast, but also just having it grow and for me to continue to want to put out more and more content. Also, I'm going to be posting more full episodes of the Fitness Coaching to our YouTube channel. So if you're someone who actually enjoys seeing my face when I talk, you can head over to YouTube and subscribe if you please. And if you're someone who is watching on YouTube, you have the ability to like our videos, but then you can also comment on the video if you have questions about the episode or if you want to suggest a topic for a future episode. And lastly, if you're someone who really does value what we're putting out, I would encourage you to hire a coach. 
for me, coaching is the bulk of my job and it's what I believe I do best. So if you're an athlete or a coach looking to up your fitness game, be sure to reach out. You can message me on Instagram at Zwar Fitness or email me then at ZwarFitness.com. Thanks again for listening today. And as always, stay the course.